Good morning. My name is Pastor Jared. It's great to be with you. We are in week three of our Jesus way. And really what we're looking at is we're looking at the six antitheses, and I'll get to that in just a minute, but it's a part of the Sermon on the Mount. The best sermon ever was Jesus, and it was the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about so many different topics. He talked about things that when people would hear it, the hearers of the time, they were shocked. And we, we understand that because the Sermon on the Mount, after Jesus is done teaching, it says the people were amazed. They were amazed by his teaching because he taught with such authority. They had never heard anything like it before. And it should impact us today in the same way. And what we're looking at is really how to live in our relationship with God and how we are to live in relationship with one another. That's really what the whole Sermon on the Mount is about all the topics that we face in life. But here's kind of a snapshot of our six-week series. On the left, Jesus would say, you have heard, but now I say this. And he's not changing anything, but he is really fulfilling the original intent of the law. And so we are in week three of lesson four. So Eric may have shared last week, we didn't think divorce would be a good Mother's Day topic. Again, men are, men are creating the teaching schedule, men are creating the calendar. Boy, we really need a woman in the room when it comes to the calendar, don't we? So here's what we're doing. Lesson three now is lesson six. And if, if you're anything like me, being out of order is just going to like, as you go to your Bible and you're like, shouldn't we be here looking at marriage and divorce? Well, yes, we should, but we're going to skip that because of our teaching team. Again, core value number three, we win as a team, not as individuals. We are not making this church, Alpine Church, around any one teaching personality. That's why we have a rotation of teachers. We are making it about centered on Christ. And maybe you've never heard that, but that's why we have a rotation of teachers. That's why, yes, the lead pastors will also come up and teach because it is a teaching team. And so in week one, is Jesus says, don't murder, but Jesus says, be reconciled. It says, the law says, don't commit adultery, but be radically pure. A man can divorce, but Jesus says, be selfless in marriage. And this is what we're going to be looking at today. The law says, don't break vows, but Jesus says, be a truth teller. And then we're going to see an eye for an eye. Jesus says, be a blessing. You have heard, hate your enemies. Jesus says, be like him. Pray for your enemies. And today's title of the, the message of today is keeping your word. This is so important, communicating details about truth, keeping our word. But I do want to start with this. Many years ago, when I was four years old, it's the first house I lived in, and the first house I lived in, we moved by the time I was five, I only remember a couple things, and this is one of them. It was the first time I lied to my parents. I was four years old. I'm in my room. I was swinging my shoe by its shoelace. This was, really be this was almost 50 years ago. The Velcro thing wasn't really a big deal yet. And I flung it, and it went right through my bedroom window. Now, in my defense, this was a single-pane glass window back then, not the double-pane like we have today. A four-year... Four-year-old should not be able to show, throw a shoe through a window. I had a pretty good arm. And right then and there, I see this broken window, and I knew I was in trouble. I'm four years old. My mom and dad come in. They sit down on my bed. And I, I just remember this day so vividly. My dad says, Jared, what happened? 
Well, I saw my dresser underneath the window, had two drawers kind of pulled out because I used this. I said my shoe jumped up on that dresser drawer, then to the next one, and then jumped out that window. My dad with a straight face, my mom starting to chuckle at this stage. Jared, what happened? Oh, I stayed firm. My shoe jumped to the drawer, to the next, and jumped out the window. Now both my mom and dad are laughing. The reason that this is so important, as I reflected back to this day, my mom and dad did not teach me how to lie. We are born into this world with a sinful nature, meaning we want to go our way over God's way. When I broke that window, I was trying to do anything not to get in trouble. That was the sinful nature within me. At four years old, I lied about it. I can't remember what happened after that. But so many parents say, well, my children don't lie. Yes, they do. If you want to test that theory, go watch them in kids' church right now. Parents, you will see that your children do lie, that there is this sinful nature, and we all have it, and we all need to be saved from it. But what Jesus is going to get to on this, it's just more than lying. It's about keeping the promises that we extend to each other. So I want you to be thinking, do you remember a time when somebody let you down by breaking a promise? They promised to do something and they did, they, that fell through. But also it's fair, is there a time that you came up short in a promise to someone else? Because Jesus has a lot to say about this. This is what we're going to be looking at today. And I just kind of want you to, to tee that up, that it's about keeping truthfulness as we are experiencing and committing to one another in so many different ways and so many different relationships. So here's the antithesis right here. Matthew 5, verses 33 to 37. Here's what Jesus says. You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say... Do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is the footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not say, even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple yes I will or no I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Would you bow and pray with me? Lord, as we look at this message from you here today, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, help us to understand how we can be truthful and keep to our word, Lord. We know that that's important to you. And as we get into the scriptures, God, I pray that it would speak to our hearts, that as followers of yours, Lord, we would be trustworthy with our words, that we would do what we say we are going to do. And I pray for that for every individual in here, Lord, that we'd have this heart of seeking your heart on this, listening to your remedies, looking to the hope that you will give through your words through scripture here today. We pray all these in your name, Jesus. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at three points and we're going to unpack this antithesis right here. And here's the first point. The Pharisees made a game out of vows, creating a loophole that undermined God's original intent. So let's bring back that passage and kind of go through this to see how the religious leaders of the times were creating loopholes. 
Matthew 5, 34, 36 says, do not say by heaven because heaven is God's throne. You know, we learn what the Pharisees were doing very early in age. I can think back to the playground and you would hear things like this. If a child or even an adult is trying to emphasize their honesty in something, they would swear by God's name. I can remember hearing it. I can remember saying it. We would say things like, I swear to God that blah, blah, blah is true. I can even, I took it even one step longer. I don't know why, but I connected swearing to God and then connecting it to the news. Like, I swear to God, I saw it on the news when I was talking to my friends. Like, the news was truth. Again, I was very young. This is elementary, very elementary age. This was going on. But it's true. When we want to emphasize that we're telling the truth, we use language like, I swear to God. And it goes on. And he says, and do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Understanding that this is all God's domain. If you swear to the earth, you might as well be swearing to God. And the great city of the king of Jerusalem. But I love how it ends. His do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. We are powerless. Now, ladies and men who are coloring their hair right now, just, just think of this. We are powerless of the color of our hair until these chemicals came that make us look younger for many more years. Now, look, I started that at 50. I gave it up at 51. Too much work. Let the gray come. It is what it is. My hands had black things like in the crevices. I'm like, this is embarrassing. People knew when I was coloring my hair and beard. I was like, I'm just going to let it go. But what, what Jesus is saying is we don't even have control of the color of our hair. So don't swear by it. Do not make an oath by it. Jesus is kind of getting to the root problem. And we see now more of the loopholes that the Pharisees were committing. In Matthew 23, 16 and 19, it says this, For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it is binding to swear by the gold in the temple? Blind fools, Jesus calls them. And you say to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding? How blind. It's not binding to swear by the temple, but it was binding to swear by the gold. It wasn't binding to swear by the altar, but it was binding to swear by the altar's gifts. And you're starting to see the loopholes. And in the Meshach, there's this, which is the old Jewish tradition and laws. And it says this, if a man said, I swear not to eat from this loaf. I swear I will not eat it. I swear I will not eat it and he ate it, he was only bound on one count. It was only one strike, not three. Even though he swore three times that he was not going to eat it, he would only be liable for one count, guilty on one charge. And so you can see as the Pharisees and the religious leaders at the time were having a very difficult time about obeying the law, keeping to their word, they started creating these loopholes, these loopholes that allowed them to not be truthful these loopholes that at the end of the day, they could stand before God and say, I am good on this because I followed my vow, I followed my oath. But Jesus is saying, no, you blind fools. These are the religious leaders. 
of the Israelites. And just think of having a blind guide who is blinded to truth is leading them, is what Jesus is getting at here. Do not swear by heaven. Do not swear by earth or the city or by your own head is what Jesus is communicating about. And so that's point number one, that the Pharisees are making these loopholes that undermine God's original intent. That is not what Jesus had in mind when the law was written about oaths and vows. And so that's going to lead us to our second point, which is this. Jesus is not forbidding oaths. He's telling us not to play games with the truth. Oaths are good. Oaths and vows are from God. They're a good thing. But what had happened is people, and, and we are guilty of this, even though we are picking on the Pharisees, we are the Pharisees in the story. We have said, probably all of us at some point, uh, a swear word as far as I swear to God about this or I swear to God about that. And what was happening then is still happening today. We can use that language. And now we just have all these casual oaths. And we're trying to swear to God or, or buy the earth or buy the gold in the temple to validate, to emphasize that we're trying to tell the truth. And Jesus said that's not the original intent of this. And we're going to see the original intent. We're going to use scripture. Paul swore to God in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and Galatians chapter 1. So we'll start with 2 Corinthians. His plans had changed. He had committed to go visit the church in Corinth twice. But he only could... After the first time he visited, he says, hey, my plans have changed. I'm not coming. And now the people took it. Wait a minute. Is, is this yes a no or is this no a yes? Like, why isn't he coming? He started to question it. And so we see that in 2 Corinthians. This is what Paul's response is. Now I call upon God as my witness. He is calling upon God as my witness that I am telling the truth. But they didn't know in the Corinth church that he was sparing them. A severe rebuke is why he didn't go back. And he was sparing them. They didn't understand that. Paul had good reasons. He tried to put that in language in scripture. But here we go. He is saying, I'm calling upon God as my witness. He's making an oath before God that I am telling the truth. In Galatians, he's talking and challenging the followers at the time that they're listening to another gospel, that they are falling for another gospel. It was Jesus plus works and then right after that, he talks about his history. He talks about his past. He understood from his past. He used to believe that same message. It was about works plus what he, Jesus, has done. And then his response again, I declare before God, Paul says, that I am writing to you is not a lie. What I am writing to you is not a lie. He is extending this oath to God and to the, the hearers of the time. We see this in Jesus also. Jesus didn't object to it. In Matthew 26, he's being sentenced. He's being questioned by the leading priest at the time. And the leading priest is trying to get him to commit blasphemy so that then they can execute, kill Jesus. And here's what, here's what Jesus said. He says, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so. Jesus replied. He didn't rebuke him. He didn't reprimand him for it. He just accepted it. He knew what his mission was. It was to be murdered. It was to be killed, crucified on the cross. And he allowed it. And then we see God swore by his own name 
in Genesis 22. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. This is Abraham and Isaac, and God tells Abraham, go sacrifice your son, and he was going to go through with it. And at the very last second, God says, stop. Stop, Abraham. And he provides a ram for the sacrifice. And as a result of that, of being faithful and obeying God, he says, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. And now we can look, look through scripture and see how, how God blessed Abraham's descendants and all the blessings that God promised came through. And so what do a, a couple of vows in today's day and age that are worth like vowing to God? One of my favorite is wedding, marriage vows. I get to be a part of a lot of weddings, and I always ask the couples, I say, I want you to write your own wedding vows, because these are promises that you are promising to God, to the other person. And I think it's one of the most important elements of the entire wedding service is the time where they come and share their wedding vows. And I love that. This is what I am promising to God, that I'm going to be a godly husband, that I'm going to be there. And look, marriage is hard. Two becoming one, nothing easy about that. And the reason I want them to write their marriage vows, I want them to try to remember if they wrote them themselves, because you're going to have to look back on those promises. And those promises hopefully will help you in your marriage to remember the promises that you made to one another, to bring you back to that day where it was all goosebumps and everything was good, right? In the trenches of marriage, it's hard. It is. But those wedding vows mean so much. And to help us to keep our word in these promises in that relationship. The other is baby dedications. I love baby dedications. And we incorporated for the parents and really encouraged for the parents to write their child a letter. And in that letter, they are writing these vows, these promises that they are going to commit to as parents. And I love using scripture to reinforce that. Because kids are hard. Kids want to go their own way. Kids need to be saved, just like everyone. And it's going to be important to look at Deuteronomy and, and look at the role of parents, and as parents to say, yes, I'm promising to fulfill, talking about God's truth, talking about it when we get up, talking about it when we leave the house, talk about it when we're on our way home, talk about it before we go to bed, committing to that. Because our culture is moving in a direction that truth is getting very murky. They need to hear God's truth. Because if they're only hearing culture, it's going to be hard for them to understand why they need a savior. Because culture points away from Jesus, not to Jesus. And as parents, we need to accept that responsibility of pointing our kids to Jesus. And I want to say this. I know the last day of kids camp is always about the gospel. There's five amazing days of God talk. So this is one way we partner with you as parents, that we do this event and they're going to hear a lot about God. And on that last day, they're going to hear the gospel message. And I want to speak to the parents that have kids of age that would be able to respond. Their kids are getting to that age where they can respond towards Jesus, understanding the right information with the right attitude. Because this is going to be a great event, an amazing event. And we're hoping that this impacts kids and that kids come to faith because of it. 
And so as you drop off, if you are planning to bring your kids here, I encourage you, we're partnering with you to ask the questions as parents. Hey, what'd you guys talk about? And maybe they can't remember all the details, that's okay. But man, it starts a great conversation of being able to have God talk with your kids. And I wanna say this, the solution for what Jesus is communicating about oaths and vows is actually very simple. If you remember how Jesus, he talked about the problem. Here's the problem, you're swearing by heaven, you're swearing by the, the footstool earth, you're swearing by the hairs on your own head, which you have no control over. And the remedy, sometimes Jesus, theology is very confusing and there's times like this, he breaks it down and makes it so simple. If you want to have help keeping your word, being truthful, it's this. At times, say yes, I will. And at times, say no, I won't. That's the solution for helping us to be truth tellers, for helping us to keep our word. He gave us two options. He didn't give, he didn't give us one. So for all of you in here, I'm in this camp, for all of you in here that think you can't say no, that you wanna be helpful, and there's times when people like this, we get into a position where we say yes, and already we're thinking, I don't know if I can commit to that. My schedule's really busy, and I just committed to more. What Jesus is saying, to be trustworthy, saying yes will help you be trustworthy, if you say what you say you're going to do. And saying no will make you trustworthy, not committing to something you can't do. I know that I have friendships within Alpine Church's structure that I can call on them and no matter what, they'll do something for me. If I ask, they'll say yes. So here's what I'm saying. You can say no to Pastor Eric. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Not always is it going to be yes. Now look, serving it here at Alpine is awesome. You can't always say no. You can't always say yes. But Jesus is communicating something so simple here that these go together. Now in your marriage or your workplace, you have to be careful if it's your boss or your spouse. There are times when you need to say yes. But I know for a fact, I've experienced this, if I could go back We've been married 30 years, almost 31. I w- if I would have been able to say no better in a loving way, it would have helped me throughout my marriage because I was always committing to things and then committing to things at church and committing to things at home. There is just so many hours in the week. But I don't want to miss out on the simplicity of what Jesus is saying here. At times, yes, we need to say yes, but at times, we also need to say no. And when we understand that, we will be able to keep to our word. We are going to be more trustworthy because of it. And James reinforces this. This is how the book of James ends. It's gonna sound familiar. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. James talks about so many things, trials, perseverance. He talks about you are, it's not a matter of if you're gonna face challenges of life. It's a matter of when. And he says, and God's working in and through that moment. And he talks about all kinds of stuff. This is how he ends the letter. But most of all, 
in other translations, above all else, like this is important. After talking about trials and all the, the details that go into that, just say a simple yes or no in our relationships. Because when we babble on and we start creating language that's trying to prove our innocence, why maybe we haven't committed to the thing we said we were going to do. I just need more time. Well, no, I gave you a week. Now it's been eight days. You're late. You lied to me. Instead of using all this language to defend ourselves, he says, if you can do it, just say a simple yes. And if you can't, say a simple no. And that is going to help us to be more trustworthy in our relationships. And as we're transitioning to this third part, it's important to understand trust. Numbers 23 and 19, now let's look at God. It says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. He is, has he ever spoken and failed to act? No. Has he ever promised and not carried it through? No. God is set apart from us. He's not a man. He's God. He is perfect. He remains truthful, and, he, and in his promises, it's a guarantee. It will happen. You can look back in, in Scripture, back when he promised Abraham, and there's some things that haven't, we've experienced in the book of Revelation. But know that every single promise that God has ever made, he has come true on. It has happened. And I will say this, the ones in the future will happen, and you can stamp that with a guarantee because he doesn't change his mind. He is truth. It's impossible for God to lie. So as we transition now to this last point, when our words can't be trusted, it's hard to point people to God who can be. Think about that person right now that comes to mind that when they start talking, you really can't trust anything they're saying. Haven't talked about their faith yet, or if they have faith. But I think we all have people like that, that we know, because of their history. Their history has proven it. When trust is broken, it needs to be earned. Like trust isn't just freely given, it's earned. And maybe through your relationship. Now parents, don't be too harsh on your kids at this stage, but th there's so much that as parents we experience that we want to ask of our children, they just say no. Or they say yes, but then they never do it. And so we're, we're trying to help our kids to understand this, that it's important to be trustworthy. Because if you are in conversation with somebody and you do not trust what they're saying, it really doesn't matter what they're talking about. There's just no trust. How are they going to trust anything this person is saying about God? Because of their untrustiness. And so what God wants us is to be trustworthy because he wants to use us and he wants to use us in a way that we are pointing people to him. And if people trust what you're saying, they're going to listen to what you have to say about God. And here's our last verse. Hebrews 6, verses 17 through 19. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is that strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. I love how Hebrews uses this anchor and an anchor for our souls. You know, when a ship is out at sea, it actually won't leave the dock 
if it doesn't have an anchor because that anchor is vital in times. And when you hit rough seas, it's got to find safety. It's got to find refuge, either a little bay or somewhere where it can drop that anchor. And now your hope and trust is in that anchor to keep that ship safe. And I love that visual. As we go through life, we're going to experience those storms just like a ship. And Jesus is our anchor, and he's anchored in our souls because we have put our faith and trust in him. If you're here and you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, understand that God has made a promise to you that he went to the cross and died for your sins. What he's saying is you can be freed from the bondage of sin. That is a promise to you by his death. But he didn't remain dead. Not only did he conquer sin, he conquered death. He rose three days later. And there's an eternal blessing that's connected to this this promise of of salvation. And he offers it to everybody, regardless of what you have done, regardless of who you are. This gift is for everyone. God's heart is love. He just has nothing but love for you, and he proved that and demonstrated by coming to this world and dying for you. If you have not made that response, meaning understanding you're a sinner and putting your faith and trust in Jesus, in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins, That's a promise that I want you to receive from God because it it changes your life. And it's just not about here and now. It's got eternal blessings that are connected to it. So when we pass here, it says we have a place that God has prepared a home in heaven for you and for me, for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. If you're here and have not made that response and you have questions about that, please come up after after this prayer. We would love to talk to you about it. We would love to see how we can help you take that next step. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to worship you and to celebrate you. You are such an amazing God. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for demonstrating and leaving heaven and coming to this broken world and giving your life for us. Lord Jesus, I pray that for those here who haven't made that response. I pray that you would remove all roadblocks. May they feel your presence, the hope that only comes from you, Lord, right now. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would really be careful with our words, that we would be trustworthy followers of yours to be able to be used by you, Lord Jesus. Use us in a mighty way. There are so many people around us, Lord, that need to hear your truth May we be your hands and feet. Give us the words through the Holy Spirit, the strength and the encouragement to speak the truth about you, God, because we know that you love that individual. And may our words point them to you, Lord. And may you do a miracle in their life by first changing their heart, allowing them to receive you through the power of the Holy Spirit and watching this transformation just like Paul experienced. It is an amazing transformation. So we surrender that to you, Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.